welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our special guest is Father Michael Geisler. His book, How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption, published by Emmaus Road, available naturally through our EWTN religious catalog. Great to meet you, Father. Well, nice to meet you. And now you nice predate you. me here at EWTN. You were on with Mother Angelica back in like 94 or something. 94, something right? like that, yes. Okay. Uh, it was a smaller studio, So it's I taken us about 30 years to get you back here then. Yes, but I'm privileged to be back. Right. Happy to join you. Okay. Yeah. And when you were here that time, what were you talking about? The One True Church. Okay which Mother was very interested in emphasizing those days of confusion right. as back in the, back in the 90s, right. too. Well, know. it's interesting you say that because you got How Christ Saves Souls with Us, a mystery of co-redemption, and I know it's part of the discussion in the book about co-redemptrix. You kind of allude to it and mention it, obviously, with Our Lady. Mother was very, very interested in that. Oh, yes, she was, yes. Yeah, she understood, I think, personally, reading her biography and knowing her a little bit personally, how Mary helped her every step of the way to get EWTN started. And now, she'd be the first to say it. <laughs> now, you get the forward you had written by uh, Scott Hahn. Now, Scott yeah. Hahn talks about a little bit about redemption and, and coming at it initially from a, a Calvinistic perspective as opposed to a Catholic perspective. How would you juxtapose that, those approaches? from a Catholic versus a Calvinistic perspective? Well, a Calvinistic, as Dr. Hahn points out in his um, uh, in forward, right. uh, are monergistic. In mm -hmm. other words, they will say, uh, Jesus does all the action and we just receive it uh, and, and we're saved through him. However, Scott brings up very nicely several texts, one text, but there are several others that I checked with Father Mitch, by the way. <laughs> so, several other Good move ahead of the show. <laughs> <laughs> which were synergistic, which is the word right. synergoi in Greek, which means God works with us. Not only Jesus, but Jesus is so good that he wants to work with us to save souls. I think that's the best answer to some Protestant right. objections. Right, he quotes Thank Corinthians you. here, for we are God's fellow workers. And he also goes on to say, we are God's fellow workers. This is the point of this book. And it is doctrine implicit in much of St. Paul. Why is it important for us to understand that fact? Well, it shows the greatness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That Jesus is God. He's so great that he wants to work through us mm -hmm. just as he creates us and works through us when we're created. He works, he works to redeem people through us, too. It shows his greatness. Right. It's interesting, too, because pe many people from, uh, from a Protestant reaction would say, well, you're taking away from our Lord by saying as if he needs us. Right. Right. But then, of course, there's the great quote, I, I, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And as he says, well, what could we possibly be lacking? That's what could right. we put into it? That's right. And St. Paul is referring there, of course, to the application of those merits and to the living of those merits within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where the co-redemption part comes in. Right. This is a very nice line he uses here. Like a good older brother, he lets us share his work so that we'd grow to be more like him. And this is the real plan of salvation. That's a great image. Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, he wants to share the action with us. He's so generous and so good. He doesn't want to be the... He is the only redeemer with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They redeem us. And yet, in some wonderful way, he wants us to share the action. That's what the book's all about. And I think it's kind of an exciting word, co-redemption. It's it kind of inspiring word. It's interesting. He says that our cooperation manifests his fatherhood in the sense of our Lord and God. How does that work in your mind? Well, of course, 
God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, all three of them created us. Mm. That's called an operation ad extra, theologically. They both, they all, all three work together to create us. All three work together to save us. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Gospel of St. John, Jesus is continually referring to his Father doing everything and working with mm -hmm. his Father and everything, including our redemption. So therefore, there's a fatherhood in Jesus and also a sonship in Jesus. Right, and, and Scott says, just to be clear, our part in redemption is essentially different than our Lord. We have to be clear with that, that Very it is clear. different. It's along with, but it, it's, it's not a replacement or equal yeah. to, which people get confused sometimes with the co. The co. And what the meaning of that is. And, and here's a quote, and I know you like this. St. Augustine summed up the matter beautifully. God who created you without you will, will not save you without you. Perfectly. In other words, he gives us life, he gives us redemption mm -hmm. through his cross and suffering, but he wants us to connect, right. to they, offer. You talk about in the preface that, that Jesus apparently is a bit of a busybody. He doesn't mind his own business, does he? <laughs> what did no you reason. mean? <laughs> did I say that? I wasn't, wasn't well, aware of that. Well, I put some words in your mouth. I didn't there. know if I exactly <laughs> used, that, used that term. Right. But yes, he's, uh, matter of fact, the Second Vatican Council says. He began, he, by the way, he began to be a busybody when he was conceived in his mother's womb. Mm -hmm. He's very busy about the human race. He loves the human race. It says, by his incarnation, he united himself with every man and woman that would ever live. Right away, right. he's interested in us. Now you say, if we're to find real fulfillment and happiness in our life, we too must learn to forget about ourselves and give ourselves truly to God and to others. Now that runs totally opposite of the culture we live in today. Yes, it does. It's a kind of a self-culture. Matter of fact, there's a book that I was reading the other day called The Rise of Self, yeah. which accounts for so many of these ideologies. Some people say ideologies, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that might be better than ideologies. But there are some people that would want to think it's us only that determine, or we only determine morality or happiness. But it's God that determines right. the happiness. Well, they like ideology because it starts with the letter I. Uh, so well, it works, works one, perfectly fine for that's them. That's one way to put it. <laughs> right, and you quote, and I think it's John Paul II here, about real love is demanding, and love demands effort and a personal commitment to the will of God. It means discipline and sacrifice. Oh, that's not popular today either. But it also means joy and human fulfillment. But people say, well, can't I just shortcut this? Let's skip that middle part and just get to the fulfillment and joy part. Uh, you can't, <laughs> if okay. you're going to be a Christian. Uh, apparently, Jesus said once, if any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what he said. I'm just quoting the, the big guy right. there. So yeah. do you see, do you find yourself being distracted by technological world of smartphones and Facebook, or are you just talking in general of the people you deal with? No, I do find myself distracted quite a bit by it. It's one of my sacrifices for Lent. I don't mind my saying so to you. Less screen time, right. better. You talk about we can avoid, and I guess using that as a way of avoiding taking a stand on anything today, including the dignity of human life, which obviously Ooh, you yes. were alluding to earlier in the womb. Yes. Um, and, and this allows us to be praised for being up-to-date, informed, intellectually progressive, and cool. That's a real temptation for a lot of people today. Nobody wants to be thought a Luddite. No, nobody wants to be thought of as medieval or passe or non-progressive. And yet the great thing about redemption is it is very modern and very traditional at the same time. Mm. It's old as the gospel and new as the gospel. 
It's that's redemption. It's interesting too because as the people yeah. avoid their relationship with God, they're running to what you say, which is that life ultimately becomes sad and meaningless. It does. When people don't exercise discipline or sacrifice, they end up very sad and depressed mm -hmm. and anxious, which we suffer from a lot in our country. Many people suffer from depression because they don't have a purpose or a discipline in their life. But the church gives us that if we only would take it. I have to mention that uh, I know you, you talk about life being extremely boring. I, I think sometimes boring <laughs> is good. There are periods of time I don't mind being bored. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it gives you time to think sometimes. That's right. right. I would say more, maybe less than boring, maybe just being quiet and contemplative. Right. What about that? That sounds nicer That's <laughs> than boring. <laughs> now, you juxtapose uh, Macbeth's line, it's a tale by an idiot full of sound and fury uh, signifying nothing, as opposed to uh, relating to our Lord, life becomes for us just the opposite of Macbeth's tragic line. It becomes a tale told by Jesus Christ full of love and adventure, signifying everything. Why did you decide to juxtapose those two? Well, I remember studying that line, that scene five, by the way, from, mm -hmm. Mac, from Macbeth when the whole world's collapsing upon him because he has been selfish all of his life. And I thought, well, if you're a man of prayer, if you let co-redemption really work in you, it'll be the opposite of that line. So that's why I juxtapose the two lines, just the opposite. It's not a tale told by an idiot. It's a tale told by Christ, and it's full of joy. On just the opposite of what Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, mm. by the way, experienced, mm. who, who committed suicide. Mm. It's, in, it's in Shakespeare's tragedy. But that tragedy always said, this is kind of the tragedy of modern yes. man. It's, it's the Macbeth tragedy. Yeah, racked by guilt. Racked by guilt. Racked by guilt. Racked you know, there's guilt. nothing, people always say about Catholic guilt, but it's nothing wrong with feeling guilty about things you should feel guilty about. Right. It's, <laughs> right. It's, Otherwise, it's, you're a sociopath, and <laughs> I think we have too many of them maybe running around well, these yes. days. Yes, you're right, Doug. You say early followers of Christ who were trying to change the world for Christ, one person at a time, one family at a time, they were indeed in the light, in a, they were indeed like the light in a very dark pagan world, a world largely based on greed and lust. It was your looking into that that inspired this book, wasn't it? It was, okay. yes. Yeah, back in the 90s, uh, I published a trilogy, published by Scepter, by the way, Scepter Publishers mm -hmm. out of New York, about a family in the second century of Rome and how they found Christ through pain and a lot of suffering. But they were, mm -hmm. I will use the word, co-redeemers. Right. They really worked with Jesus to do it. And that's what inspired me, those about the early Christians, the novels. Yeah. You also talk about a Lord seeking men and women who do not run away from the cross. In this book, you'll find the theological and biblical principles that you need to become a true co-redeemer. I'm assuming you can't run away from the cross and be a co-redeemer. That's a different religion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wouldn't be Christianity. Our Lord is wonderful, gives joy, but he always likes to be close to that cross. Not only during Lent, by the way. Mm -hmm. Because he said that, if anybody would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily is the Greek word that's used. Quotidianum in Latin, quotidianum. And so I said, if you really want to be a Christian, you've got to have that cross nearby. But you can't be a sad sack either. Right. You can't be glum. Right. Do you, you, know. do you think that's also because that cross reminds you that you're ultimately reliant on God, that you can't do it yourself? Definitely, right. and, and, it, and it gives you something you can offer. Because if not, life would be just too easy 
we'd all be kind of like quote bums right. <laughs> if we didn't okay. have didn't have the cross or some discipline, and that's what the church. You're gives being us. very politically incorrect, Father. Uh, <laughs> I want to mention the co-redemption is indeed a great mystery, since it has to do with God's infinite and profound plan of salvation for every human soul. Do you think that's why there's so much confusion in understanding, thinking about that, especially outside the Catholic Church? Yes, I, I really do. I, I, I think people don't realize how God wants to work within them. And they like to have things in their own little mind clear, their own ideas, but then God is mysterious and rather fun. <laughs> He's kind of fun. And people, I, it's the cross, but it's also fun. And people just like things too, too clenched, mm -hmm. I think. And, and co-redemption opens it up to a lot of adventure. That's the way Jesus wanted it. You say, through the <laughs> grace of baptism, when we are configured to him, Christ the Redeemer, and receive his threefold mission and power, which is and we can go through, to teach, to sanctify, and to govern in his name. Explain those three. Yes, well, that was actually covered in Vatican, Second Vatican Council. I think the Lumen Gentium explains. I wish more Catholics realized, Doug, the greatness of the fact of their baptism, mm -hmm. and including non-Catholic Christians. Oftentimes, I think they're far more evangelical and right. far more wanting to convert than Catholics because they realize what baptism is. They accept the sacrament of baptism. Catholics are baptized, but they don't know what they've gotten many times. And when you're baptized, you are configured with Christ, Christ priest, Christ king, Christ prophet. Right. And that is very exciting. Just by fulfilling your baptismal character, your baptismal grace, you can be a co-redeemer by right. using those three things. And, and do, you th do you think part of the reason, I mean, why Catholics aren't necessarily out there as, as much yeah, uh, from a conversion right. perspective is because in s well, some yeah. ways there's, a, there's an impression that they're really not supposed to be doing that? Well, yeah, or they, they have, maybe they're a little, quote, clerical. Mm -hmm. They think that the priests and the bishops and the pope should do everything for them, and they just right. uh, go to mass on Sundays and that's right. it. Mm, nope, <laughs> it's not when the way was, it works. I always said when I was a kid, I used to think we were in the National Guard. We, we just got called up on Sundays. And uh, the priests uh, and the religious, they were basically the regular army. They took care of business. Right. We were just there as backup, basically. Right. But that's the nice thing about Vatican II, Doug, is that it did say the universal call to holiness of all the faithful. So it doesn't let the faithful slip back into the Sunday mode. If you read Vatican II mm -hmm. correctly, it says, you are baptized, go out there and change the world. And that's a beautiful message to the Second Vatican Council. It seems like, unfortunately, as much as that was the intention, there's a lot of cases where it seemed like the world changed the people in the church. Yes, the world came into the church in a wrong way, mm -hmm. not in the best way. But we got to keep trying. Well, well you talk about <laughs> th give up. three conditions of being co-redemption. Uh, action must itself be good. You may freely perform it. But the first one is one I never hear anymore. Sanctifying grace, I haven't heard that since Sister Mary Reparata said it in eighth grade. <laughs> oh, well that, mea culpa, mea culpa, what can I say? I, I, a priest should, it's called the state of grace. It's a wonderful thing. It's, it's also called divine filiation. The founder of Opus Dei liked that expression mm -hmm. a lot, divine filiation. If only people would talk about the state of grace and how wonderful it is, they wouldn't lose it so easily by committing sin, especially grave sin. So how does a person activate his daily intentions by then bringing more grace into their lives? How does that work? Well, I would say, first of all, let God know what your intention is for the day. This is called the morning offering. I'm sure you've heard of it. 
and you probably practice it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is to let God know first thought of the day, even if you're groggy, Lord, I want to offer you all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings in union with your most sacred heart and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's the way to begin the day. Well, I, I like you, you talk about the fact that it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a very small thing, a small deed, a small effort. And it's a great example. I think any of us who have been parents experience this. If, the, uh, if they have humility and gratitude, a son or daughter may well be able to say to their father and mother, do you remember when you said or did this thing? Mm -hmm. It really helped me. But the major thing is not only to do it, the big impact is you go, that? Of all the things I did for you, that's what you think about? Such, it was a small thing. Yes, yes, and I, I think many parents can relate to that, that many times children get things from their parents that the parents don't realize they're learning all the time. And even from a little thing, a little word of kindness will stay with them all their life. And that's co-redemption too. Mm -hmm. You've got to include, because it leads to God, what that parent did. That's the point I wanted to get across. Even if it's a little thing, it doesn't have to be a huge thing like mm -hmm. dying on the cross. That's the culmination of redemption, right. dying on the cross. But Jesus did little things too, like helped his family and worked in the, with Joseph in the workshop and had to face cranky clients, I guess. Right, right. He did lots of little things too, and that's so important to keep in mind for going right, I think of St. Therese with a little way. And, and, a little way. And those kind of things. You yeah. say, though it sounds ironic, the most powerful way to be a co-redeemer is to forget you are one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Why did I say that? <laughs> well, maybe because there, there could be too much self in, in wanting to be a co-redeemer, in a sense, it can almost sound a little prideful. Mm -hmm. I'm a co-redeemer. Well, you are when you most forget about yourself and let Jesus work within you. Then you are truly a co-redeemer. Did you used to go to wild frat parties or something when you were in college? No, but I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew some people who did. It was, I did know people who did. And why did you include that story? Well, because I... I heard about people. One of my friends was in that situation. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about the first chapter of the yeah, book? Yeah, Christ the Redeemer, right? Yeah, about yeah. that wild party. Yes. Right. Yeah, I did know somebody, and but he left. He left with his girlfriend because he realized this party's going down. Right. We're not going to be here. And the whole point of that little story is that they were co-redeemers by leaving. They didn't join right. the party. And they tried to bring others with them. And they, they went did. to the others and said, we're going to leave. Exactly. Would you want to leave with us, right? One and, other woman one went other with woman them. Went that, so they, they redeemed her. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the, if more Catholics would do things like that, young Catholics, we'd have a different world, Right. I think. Yeah. This is also interesting, too, because it runs against the general thought. Redemption takes us from a condition of emptiness and despair into a state of grace and hope. Is the not, it does not depend on our feelings, our emotions, but on the action of God's grace in the soul. Oh, that's important, yes. Because again, people will think faith and religion is based on how I feel. Uh, do I have a sense of joy? Do I feel up about things? Well, sometimes we can feel down about things, and maybe that's when we're most redeeming, mm -hmm. when we feel down. Right. You say no good is ever lost if what we do on earth in, is in Christ. Those actions will be transformed and found again in the next life. That's Vatican II. Right. Gaudium its best. That's a beautiful quote. I love that quote. Yeah. Nothing good. Nothing good's lost. I think that was the point of the Second Vatican Council. Nothing good is lost. All right. Right. Exactly. And that's where redemptive suffering also that idea is so important as a Catholic perspective. Exactly. Right? Nothing good is lost. Yeah. And rather nothing... than this kind of perspective that if you're suffering, there's something wrong with your faith. Right. As a matter of fact, that could be an invitation to have more faith. 
And that's when you really start getting into the action of Christ on the cross. You talk about participating in the Mass and, 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 and taking the Mass in rather than as a mere obligation or a monotonous ceremony. It's tough enough to get people to go to Mass at all anymore. It is, but I think it's because of a lack of information or formation. They don't realize what happens at the Mass. If Catholics would realize that, they would go every Sunday mm -hmm. and maybe even during the week <laughs> to Mass. It's, it's power. Yeah. It's the Eucharist. And it's real redemption. Why wouldn't you want to plug in? <laughs> but people don't realize that. They think it's a chore. They think it's boring. Or they, they'll judge the Mass on the priest preaching right. or on the choir or who's going, but right. not on what's really happening at the altar. Well, you, you connect it in Chapter 2 to the Communion of Saints. We would confuse the church with our history, long and complex as it is, basically the idea of seeing scandals and not realizing there's a difference between that and the church itself. Yes, that's right. Matter of fact, there's been scandals right from the start of the church. Judas. Judas. <laughs> right. His, his, his hand-picked man stabbed him in the back. Mm -hmm. And then uh, all sorts of scandals in the early church. We read that in the letters of St. Paul. Heresies galore. So <laughs> we're nothing new in 2023. We've seen it all. <laughs> now, you're, now you're, you're a football aficionado here. Apparently you believe in the old line, the best defense is a good offense. What yeah. would be an example of, in your mind of what you mean by that? You see the Super Bowl this year, mm -hmm. Kansas City, Missouri? Mm -hmm. That was a great offense. <laughs> that was a great pass. <laughs> is that because you hang out in Missouri? Yeah, well, right. St. Louis is Missouri. So is I know. Yeah, I mean, Butner. <laughs> He was, that's, it was a great thing. The best, the best defense is good offense. That's all. Right, exactly. Without the church, the world would collapse. How so? We have nobody to tell us what was right and wrong and would not remind us of discipline and self-giving. I don't think we'd have any potent force, continual force to remind us of that. We need that. Because people forget, and they take the easy way out. So you need someone or something to mm. say, don't forget <laughs> the cross. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and you have a quote here in, in the faith section of uh, Pope Benedict. Uh, we must not only believe certain things to be true, but must act accordingly. And the line is, a faith that is informative and performative. Yes, that's from Benedict. Right. Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah, wonderful quote. Because... Uh, you know, if you read his writings, he's such an intelligent man. He's, he's always informing you tremendous truths, but he's also challenging you to perform. Mm. And that's why he said that. I think that was in his second encyclical on hope, right? Mm. The Space Salvation. That was the second one, yeah. You say most people would admit that they pray at times, for instance, in, in emergencies or in surge of strong feelings, most people, if we want our prayer to be redemptive and to be a constant witness to Christ in our lives, we need to pray daily, both in easy times and in hard times. Yes, in easy times, it's easy, but the hard times is hard. And that's, that, that again is the emphasis on the cross because we were redeemed culminatingly on the cross by, by Christ. In the, in the chapter uh, actually on sanctifying work, I heard of sanctifying work, you got sanctifying worse, uh, work, you talk about for many people, work is a curse. Do you see maybe that's even more of a, uh, an <laughs> attitude we're seeing today, maybe post-pandemic even? There's a lot of uh, quiet quitters right. out there that just want to sit down on their couch and Zoom or non-Zoom. You're right. 
uh, worries. I think that God made us to work. Matter of fact, that's pretty clear from Genesis. Right. Uh, Adam and Eve were put in the garden to work, not to just sit around and do nothing on their hammocks or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and do you think also you, when you're dealing with, with things like that, that people find when they accomplish things that they worked hard at, it has meaning. Uh, you know, participation yes. tro trophies don't mean a lot to people, and they wonder why people aren't finding satisfaction when they're really not working to achieve what they're being given. Exactly. It goes back to the parable of the talents. A lot of people receive tremendous talents, mm -hmm. but bury them. And uh, if you're truly redemptive or co-redemptive, you will not bury your talent. You're going to use it. Right. And you quote here Pope John Paul II, uh, he talks about real freedom and uh, it, that not, not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. That's totally lost on our society. Yes. Yeah, freedom is the ability to do what is good because you want to, not right. because you're forced to. Yes, it's, it's lost. But that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, that some people might read something like this. Right. You, know? you also mentioned the importance of grandparents in the section on matrimony. Oh, yes. Why did you mention that? I think many grandparents nowadays are doing what parents should have done right. with their kids. Especially from a faith perspective. From a, faith, a lot of absent dads and absent moms. Grandparents come in and can do great things. Right. Okay, very good. And another book on the works? Well, I'm thinking one on the angels, maybe. How okay. the angels work in the world. Well, you don't have to wait 30 years to come back and visit with us, Robert. Okay? <laughs> thank you for this. All right, so it's, it's thank you very much. All right, Doug. Speaking with Father Michael Geisler, his book, How Christ Saves Souls with Us, uh, Mayus Road, available through the EW10 Religious Catalog, EW10RC.com for all things Catholic. Join us next time right here on EW10's Bookmark. Thanks for stopping by.